Thank you very much indeed. Uh, William, it's good to be back with you in Mays. Uh, I was saying in Ballanderry that uh, William showed a, a great deal of trust in, in me in inviting me to lead the team during his time as a moderator. Uh, but then you landed me with an ex-moderator in Donald, a university a theological professor in Zach, a highly intelligent student for the ministry, uh, James, and a very uh, effective youth worker in Rachel. So it was very easy to keep them all together. But uh, I really did appreciate uh, William's invitation to be uh, leading the team here. And I've always enjoyed worshipping with you in Mays. You have something going on here that many of our churches don't have. Uh, and uh, you have more to be thankful for, perhaps, uh, than you realize. And God has been good to you. And after COVID uh, and so forth, it's great to see uh, the church so well filled. Anyway, uh, what to preach on today? This uh, passage came to my mind and to my heart. And I want to read from Jeremiah chapter 1 and verses 1 uh, to 10. And uh, let's hear God's word together. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth, in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Ending there, may God bless us in that reading of his word. William was praying uh, for situations in the world that I guess many of us have agonized and prayed over. And I, I often ask myself the question, how might we have any influence over what happens in Ukraine? How might we persuade President Putin to bring his troops out and go back home to Russia? How might we manage in some of the great trouble spots of the world to solve the situation? How would we even manage here in Northern Ireland to find a solution for the Northern Ireland Protocol and all the angst that has come over that? When it comes to governments and when it comes to influencing events of the world, I'm very grateful that God has given us the weapon of prayer, and it is a weapon, uh, and we shouldn't underestimate that. But isn't the truth that we often feel faceless and powerless when it comes to government and how we might change things? 
And if you work for a, a big corporation, maybe an international corporation that has many branches throughout the world, uh, many thousands of employees, how do you find significance as one in the midst of many thousands? Maybe you work in the health service and you think, how can I have significance in my work when there are so many people here? And when you want to expand out and you think of space and you think of the vastness of the universe, and there's some immensely interesting things going on. They've just discovered recently new universes that are not acting in the way that physicists believe they should. Uh, and we know so little about the vastness of space. And yet, in the midst of that, in a world of eight billion people, maybe we feel very small and insignificant. And what I think is happening in our world is that people have a thirst and a desire to find meaning and significance. For me as a Christian, that significance is found in my faith in Christ and my understanding of the Scriptures and how the Scriptures relate to life and relate to how we should live. And that's great for me, but I wonder, have we got this sense of powerlessness when it looks, when we look at many of the things in our world? Think of a young person who's terribly concerned about climate change, or maybe very concerned about self-image, maybe have concerns in our families about different kinds of things. How do we actually come to the point of finding significance in those situations? Well, I think what God said to Jeremiah is something that has a truth in it that if we digested, we would begin to find the answers to those sorts of questions. I don't intend answering those questions today, but perhaps what I have to say gives us a starting point for understanding how we should approach those questions. I love this quotation from John Ortberg, uh, and he said this one time, the Bible does not say you are God's appliance. It says you are his masterpiece. Appliances get mass produced. Let me repeat that. The Bible does not say you're God's appliance. It says you are his masterpiece. Appliances get mass produced. You are utterly, as far as God is concerned, as far as the Scriptures is concerned, you are utterly unique and valuable to God. You're not an appliance, a thing to be dispensed off when you've no longer any use you are God's masterpiece. Jeremiah lived through very turbulent times. In many ways, they're quite like the fault lines between nations that we're experiencing today. Uh, he lived at, uh, towards the end of the 6th and beginning of the 7th century BC. In the last 40 years of the southern kingdom of Judah, empires were shifting, and the nations of the Near East were getting ready for war. The Hebrews occupied what was known as the Fertile Crescent, and their territory was being eyed very enviously by Egypt to the south, Assyria to the north, and by the Babylonians to the east. And by the time God called Jeremiah to be a prophet, right about 627 BC, good King Josiah had been on the throne for 13 years. But here's the thing, he started reigning only when he was eight years of age. And he followed 50 years of his father and his grandfather who had been evil kings and had helped Israel move away from worship of God and into the worship of idols. Uh, and God's judgment was coming upon the nation. And although Josiah ushered in reforms, the problem was that the people were not listening. 
And the problem was that the people were still sinning. And so Jeremiah was called by God to prophesy and proclaim the breakup of Judah, the destruction of the temple, and if that wasn't bad enough, an extended period of exile for the people of God, all because of their sin and their idolatry. I, I don't know whether it's just my age group or not, but maybe you're, if you're my age group, you remember people used to say, ah, so-and-so's a right Jeremiah. Uh, and it really meant that so-and-so's a bit of a wet blanket, not the kind of person you'd want at a party, a kind of party pooper, you know, who, who'd leave everybody feeling depressed. Uh, and you kind of think, what was that person on about and why was he here or, or there? Uh, and let's face it, Jeremiah was distinctly odd. He was perhaps the originator of performance art. Once God said to him to go and buy a jar from a local potter and then break it publicly as a demonstration that God was going to break the nation and destroy the nation because of its sin. On another occasion, he was instructed by God to walk the streets wearing only a cloak and an oxen yoke around his neck and then gate crash a royal banquet. He was the kind of guy who would follow you around. When I was younger and went into Belfast, there was this guy always went around with a sandwich board uh, with a message in the front and the back. And Jeremiah would have been a bit like that. In the front, it might have said, the wages of sin is death. And in the back, it might have said, prepare to meet thy doom. Uh, and I, Je Jeremiah was that kind of wet blanket who was really spoiling people's fun. And he was greatly opposed in his ministry. In fact, he was jailed for his unpopular preaching. And once he was thrown into a sister in a kind of dungeon uh, and left to die, but for a gracious uh, helping hand given to him. Uh, and although he came from a priestly family, when God called him, he really was fairly reluctant. He really didn't want to be that kind of wet blanket, that kind of prophet of doom, the weeping prophet he's called. Uh, and yet he felt he had to be obedient to God and follow his calling. We often hear that God calls us to faithfulness over success. And if anything epitomized or anybody epitomized that, it was Jeremiah called to be faithful rather than successful. He was a prophet that very few people listened to. But in that call to Jeremiah, there's something here in chapter one that I believe is extremely important for us to hear and to understand. In fact, I think for some of us, it may be, if we're not very familiar with this passage, it might enlighten and give us a new view of our humanity. And so I have four little thoughts that I want to share with you this morning. Here's the first one. You are uniquely created. Verse 5, God says to Jeremiah, I formed you in the womb. Now, notice the significance of that. I formed you, says God, in the womb. Our smart and very earthbound 21st century minds tend to think of conception merely as a biological event. But on the assumption that we take these words from God as the word of God, then the words I formed you have immense significance as to the origins of human life. We're familiar with the psalmist words in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. Let me read them for you. Uh, and this is the psalmist, I think, picking up the same kind of thought that God is giving to Jeremiah. And the psalmist said this, For you created my inmost being. You, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body or my embryo. And this word of the psalmist picking up what God is saying to Jeremiah reminds us of the incredible sanctity, if you want to put it that way, of human life to God. In fact, when we take this seriously, the Word of God, it must impact how Christians think around issues regarding abortion and euthanasia or assisted suicide, as these issues relate to the value of human life. I can't pretend that the verses we've read answer all those questions for us. Uh, nor can I say that they'll answer the complicated issues raised by contemporary issues like euthanasia or abortion. Indeed, the, the, the verses weren't written as a polemic against these things. But here's the thing. If we are truly known to God before our birth, then the value of human life takes on implications of eternity. John Guest said this, We are infinitely more than children of humankind. Our birth is not our real beginning, nor will our death be the end. Yet how we live in the span between the two will count forever. Our birth is not the beginning and our death is not the end because God says, I formed you in the womb. I knew you before you were born. And of course, as Christians, in the verse that we shared with the, the children, we understand that God has given us eternal life when we trust in Jesus Christ. Let me just go back to that, that verse with the children. Uh, it is probably the most commonly quoted verse, the best-known verse of the Bible. But when I was about 20, I, I guess I, I came to faith actually as a child, seven or eight years of age. But when I was about 20, I was either first or second year at university, I really began to doubt my faith. And a, a minister friend said to me, Ken, you put your name in place of the world. I thought it was a bit naff, a bit, you know. But when I began to do that, I began to read John 3.16 as God so loved not just the world out there, but me. Then I began to understand the depths of his love. And it was as if God said to me at that time in my early 20s, don't ever doubt that you're a Christian again. And I haven't. I've doubted my level of sanctification many times. Uh, and doubted my uh, faithfulness to God many times, but never God's faithfulness to me or his salvation of me. Uh, and that verse was pivotal in understanding that. So we come to this incredible truth. You are a one-off. You are uniquely created in the image of God. You have significance. And secondly, Next thought I had was this, you are uniquely known and involved in being known by God is being loved by God because when the Bible talks about knowing one another, it really talks about loving one another. Love and knowledge are usually the same kind of thing. And the opening of this book uh, in verse 1 uh, is very important. It tells us of Jeremiah's origins, which we'll come to in a moment. But before that, God says to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now, all of us like, you know, to know roots. By the way, my mother, she died many years ago. I can say this about her publicly now. She was a bit of a snob. 
Uh, and uh, she, she um, you went, anyway, plenty of stories you could tell you, but I, I, I'll, I'll just tell you this one. My brother has done research into our family history. Uh, and we've discovered our family history on my mother's side goes all the way back to 700 AD to a family of knights in Normandy. My mother would have been thrilled. Hyacinth Bucket, you personified. Uh, and, uh, and as well as that, one of our ancestors was a mistress to Henry I. Uh, could be a bit dodgy. Uh, whenever, whenever she only produced a girl and not a boy, she was dispensed with but she married Sir Gilbert de Clare. And, uh, you know, anyway, she would have loved that whole family history that she never knew before she died. And here we have in Jeremiah 1, Jeremiah's ancestry. Uh, we're told that uh, he is the son of Hilkiah, priest at Anathoth, the village just a few miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, and incredibly, this word of God which places Jeremiah in a place of history in a particular family at a particular time, says to him that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Isn't that incredible? Because the psalmist is saying in Psalm 139 that when he thinks of us in the womb, God sees us in the womb. But here goes one step further back. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. How amazing that is. And I think implied in that is the idea that God has his plans for our lives, even before we're capable of asking the question, why am I here? Isn't that one of the important questions of our society, of our culture? Why am I here? Have I got a purpose? Have I got significance? And the Bible to those kinds of questions said, yes, you have significance. Yes, you have purpose. And to be known intimately, deeply, personally, and unconditionally, is the desire of so many people in our society today. And God comes, it's as if he would say to you and to me this morning, I've always known you. I've known you since before your parents met. I've known you since before you were a gleam in your parents' eye, since before you were conceived. I've known you and I've had my plans for you. You're one who has meaning and significance uh, because I want you to be part of my family. And a lovely thing about being part of God's family is this idea that God calls us to be bearers of the light, which is Christ, and says that it's the responsibility of the Christian church to be light bearers to the world. We are many lights of Jesus, the light of the world. And that is our purpose in life. And in order for us to find that purpose, we come to that John 3.16, that God so loved the world, that was his mission that he gave us one and only unique son, that if we believe in him, we should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we're called to join in that mission of God. And that leads me to the third point, which is you are uniquely called. Again, verse 5 of Jeremiah 1, I set you apart. Now, the idea of being set apart is the basic notion behind the word sanctification. And we know that you cannot be saved until you place your trust in Christ and ask him to save you and commit yourself to him, meet his love with yours. So what does God mean when he says that even before we were conceived, he knew us and set us apart? It's a powerful indicator of the preciousness of human life. Of course, there's sadness that not all 
babies come to full term and we have an awful amount of suffering in our world for those who go through the distress of losing a child and so forth. But nevertheless, God says he has that knowledge of us before we were conceived, before we were born, and he had his plans for our lives. Sometimes we wonder why people's plans in life are cut short. It's a reminder to me to live every day for Jesus and take each day as it comes. But the implication of Scripture is clear. Before we were born or conceived, God had a plan for our lives. And so I want to ask you this morning, have you ever committed your life to God? Have you ever marveled that God would want to guide you and direct you in everything, that God would have it all in mind before you even existed? And when you discover God's will and purpose for your life, you have moments when you say, yes, I was made for this. I love it when that happens. Things that you have an experience of, you just say, yes, I was made for this. Jeremiah was born into a world that sinned against God every way it could, every way that could think of doing, and his task was to show a life that was different from the world around about him, a life dedicated not to self-promotion or financial or social advantage, but one of obedient service to God. Do you believe that you are called to serve him? And serving him may be as a parent picking up a child at the school gate and just getting to know some of the other parents and befriending them, maybe even giving them an invite to an activity in church. Serving God can be going into your work and recognizing that God has given you your work. You know, so many people find work drudgery. So many people say, I love the weekend, but I hate Monday to Friday. I find it quite interesting. When I was uh, first graduated from university before applying for the ministry, I worked for 18 months in the civil service in police headquarters in Knock in Brooklyn and Belfast. And in those days, we're talking about the early 70s, people could smoke in the offices. Uh, and I was in an office where there were eight of us, four by four, and there was a lovely lady, Teresa, across the desk from me who was a chain smoker. Uh, and she knew that I didn't smoke. She knew that I was kind of good living. And she would just take a cigarette and she would sit opposite me and <sighs> blow the smoke over my desk. And I found it very hard to love Teresa. In fact, I wanted to wring her neck. Uh, and as well as that, 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 that we, we were in an old house in those days that uh, wasn't built as an office. It was a super sir gas heater. Remember those? And the windows were all dripping condensation and the room was filled with smoke. Thank the Lord for regulations that don't allow that now. But the thing that revolutionized work for me was when I discovered the idea of praying as I went into work. I was fortunate to live around the corner from police headquarters, and I was able to walk to work, and I began to pray, to pray for Teresa and to pray for the other six in my office, to pray for the chief inspector who was in charge of our department. And I discovered that when I began to pray, and when I began to say, Lord, this is the work you've given me here and now. I don't particularly enjoy it, but this is your work that you've given to me now. Amazing things began to happen. People began to ask me about my faith. And in those days, you were able to share anything of your faith without any hint of people being upset. 
Uh, and uh, people would start saying, oh, you're, you're good living. And I, I hate that expression. Uh, and I'd, I'd say commonly, no, I'm not good living, but I'm a Christian. Oh, you are good living then, uh, people would say. But all I'm saying is God has a plan for your life and your work Whatever you do from nine to five, or if you're retired or unemployed, or if you work from home, is a gift from God that he wants you to use to his glory, and he wants you to honor him in that. And when you begin to give that work to God, then there will be more and more occasions when you'd say, yes, I was made for this. And where the Westminster Confession Catechism comes true, what is man's chief end, man and woman's chief end, or purpose in life to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Fourth thing I want us to note this morning is this, you are uniquely commissioned. I appointed you, says God, to Jeremiah as a prophet to the nations. The particular shape our lives should take on earth is entirely wrapped up in the purposes of God and indeed his sovereign foreknowledge of us. He will never ask us to do anything that we're not incapable of doing, certainly not by his power and by his strength. And we still have a ministry to the nations, even as Jeremiah did, not in the same way, but we still have that ministry to be commissioned to be a prophet to the nations because Jesus said to his disciples before he returned to his Father in heaven, go into all the world and make disciples. Now, we, not all of us, not many of us can go overseas to serve God. But incredibly, more and more people are coming from overseas to us. In our church in Newcastle, we have a two-bedroom flat and uh, we've been able to offer that to a Ukrainian lady and her child while her husband has to remain in Ukraine and work in a factory. Uh, and uh, the world is coming to us in, in the hotel beside our church in Newcastle. Uh, we're going to be having 90 asylum seekers from all over the world. And, and we begin to recognize that our commissioning to go into all the world is partly recognizing who we can talk to here but also what we can support, Presbyterian Church in Ireland's United Appeal, the missionary end of it. We are called to give financially. We're called to pray. We're called to support those who go out to the mission field. The work of your organizations here in the youth work that we do, do you pray for your Sunday school teachers? Do you pray for the leaders of uniformed organizations? Do you pray for those who deal with our children and young people because that also is part of what you're commissioned to do, to go into all the nations. And so here we have a God who says that we are uniquely shaped and set apart even before we were born and commissioned to serve him. We may feel like Jeremiah in verse 6. He says, Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. And it's reckoned that Jeremiah was probably a teenager. He maybe hadn't even started shaving when God's call came to him. And then verses seven to eight, but the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. But here's Jeremiah feeling 
that he's inadequate. Do you remember Isaiah when he had that vision of God uh, and he said, woe's me, I'm a man of unclean lips amongst the people of unclean lips and God sent an angel to the altar with tongs and he took a living coal and he touched Isaiah's mouth, the point of his inadequacy. And it's similar to here with Jeremiah verses 9 to 10. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Ulster people are quite self-deprecating, aren't they? I'm not really very good at that. You know, I don't have that many gifts. In fact, I don't know if I have any gifts. Uh, You know, and we we talk about our inadequacies and our lack of gifts. And I remember the first time I met an American Christian. uh, And I I said to this guy, you know, what what do you believe God has given you? Well, he said, I think I'm gifted in this and I'm gifted in that. I'm gifted in that. I'm not so good at that, but I'm really good at this. And I thought, oh, you know, an Ulster person kind of reacts and says, oh, is that a bit bombastic? But here's the thing, if you and I say we're no good at anything, are we not cheating God? Indeed, are we not in danger of mistaking a certain humility for impertinence to the Creator? The Creator who has called us and known us from before birth to serve Him. And we're commissioned by Jesus not only to serve Him in our daily lives, but to go into all the world. And God says that when we serve him and follow him, he will give us his words and his strength. The issue is this. In the light of what God revealed to Jeremiah about his knowledge of him, and by implication all of us, are you and I thanking God that we have significance, that we have meaning, that we have purpose, that we have found all that in God? And are we seeking God's will for our lives? You may find in your daily occupation you very little joy. Well, I wonder, would it help if you began to pray about what you're doing, the opportunities just to be a witness? You don't even have to say anything, just to live for Jesus, just to show an interest in people to get alongside people. I love the story of a, a Presbyterian minister when I went to a retirement conference. Thank you, Presbyterian Church. Two free nights in the Sleeve Donard Hotel. Maybe that's why we went to live in Newcastle. Uh, and, uh, but we had a minister spoke to us then about his retirement. And he said that, I better watch my time here. He said that when he retired, he and his wife moved into this new housing development. Uh, and uh, everybody in the place was a brand new house, uh, a lot of people, two people out working. Uh, and uh, he wondered how could he get to know the people around about him. But he noticed that because everybody was out, when the bins were being collected, they were being left on the footpath and sometimes in the road. And so he went round his neighbours and he began to say, would you mind if I put your bins away during the day so that they're in the house when you come home? And the people loved it. They thought, this is great. Uh, and so he began a ministry of putting bins up the side of people's houses. And then he discovered that most of the people living in that particular area were not married. Uh, and they were having children and they were getting on with life. And then he discovered that sometimes people said, would you come and marry us? Uh, and what an opportunity that was to share in what they were doing. And he just began to say, how can I 
Live where I am and be a witness for Jesus. Didn't have to say anything, but he just showed Christian love. And whatever it is God called you to do when you're obedient, you'll say, yes, I was made for this. Now, here's the thing. Whatever you forget about my talk this morning, the bottom line is this. You are uniquely created, uniquely loved, and uniquely called by God to serve him. And as the, if I dare mention uh, the, the name of a big company, Nike's uh, logo is, just do it. Just do it. Go and serve him and be his person. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word tells us this incredible, incredible truth that before we were even born, you knew us. Before we were even conceived, you knew us. And I pray that you would help us just to respond to your word by giving you a big thank you for the significance that you have brought into our lives. And if we ever doubt that significance, Lord, help us to remember that most common, well-known verse of the Bible, God so loved Ken McBride or whatever your name is, that he gave. And help us to remember that in the nitty-gritty of the world that we don't understand, with all the geopolitical tensions, all the local tensions, all the stuff of family life, health issues and mental health issues and financial issues and worries, that you come to us and say, you are loved and significant to me. And Lord, may we live as those who are not only aware of our significance, but are willing to follow your call to serve you wherever we are, in whatever we do, day by day. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.